I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Frank Downs. Frank is the Director of Cybersecurity Practices at ISACA. Frank, a 14-year cybersecurity specialist, graduated with a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Maryland, after which he promptly joined the Department of Defense as a subject matter expert working with computer networks on a daily basis. Realizing that English and cybersecurity were two very different concepts, he proceeded to obtain a master's degree in cybersecurity from UMBC after a pit stop at John Hopkins to obtain a master's degree in government. Eventually, Frank decided to ease the learning process for individuals transitioning from non-technical backgrounds into cybersecurity by becoming a full-time intelligence and operations consultant for multiple law enforcement and intelligence agencies. In this episode, we discuss starting in another industry before joining the DOD, packet capture analysis, doing the work no one else wants to do, knowing when to move to new roles, non-traditional backgrounds, trainings and certifications, COBIT, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I have. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, Franks, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Doug? I'm doing great. And we're both just chatting before we hit record that we've both enjoyed a very uh, quiet, thankfully, in cyber, uh, you know, uh, holiday weekend. But yeah. <laughs> that's a rare thing sometimes in cybersecurity. But it's kind of want to get your sense, you know, of, of where you started to get to where you are today. So you can have these nice, enjoyable weekends. Um, yeah. So my experience is a bit non-traditional. Uh, I was supposed to be a dentist, believe it or not. I come from a long line of dentists, <laughs> which is not something someone usually says, right? You don't, you don't usually go around and talk to someone and they go, well, well, yes, my family hails from dentistry. So, you know, it just uh, doesn't happen. Right. Sure. Um, but, uh, my grand, both two, both my grandfathers were dentists. Uh, my dad is a dentist and I was supposed to be a dentist until the one day I worked in the dental office with him. Um, I, uh, it was the first patient of the day and he said suction. And I'm sure, you know, when you're at the dental office, you know what that means? They pull out the little suction tube and they oh, suck yeah. out all the stuff in there and all that. Right. So, you know, naturally I turn on the suction tube. All right. Doing well so far and proceed to get the person's tongue jammed up right into the suction tube, like sucked it right in and just was starting to really suck, pull hard. And this guy was starting to really, it was bad, right? You start to hear those concerned sounds like, and so forth. And I'm like, hmm. And so, you know, being the calm professional I was at the time, I naturally just turned off the sucker and, you know, removed it from the gentleman's mouth. No, I didn't do that at all. Uh, I went into straight panic mode and apparently thought the appropriate measure was to eagle claw this guy's face and start yanking on the suction tube that was really jammed <laughs> onto his oh, tongue. <laughs> and it was like one, ah, two, ah, three. And I just yanked real hard and all of a sudden it comes out. And then you, Doug, you, I still, I'm like, I see it every time I think about this, right? There's just like this long 
almost 30 seconds of stunned silence where there's just nothing but suction. That dude's looking at me. I'm looking at him and my dad's looking at both of us. And he just looks at me and he goes, why don't you sit this one out? Yeah. And I go, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to sit the rest out. See ya. Um, so, you know, kind of had a, a kind of a surprise experience right right there kind of one of those life-changing events and that was pretty difficult because i was already in college halfway to becoming a dentist you know doing the whole pre-dental thing because that's what the family did and then so from there i really had to figure out what to do so there was a career event um i was at a small college up in pennsylvania at the time small school called uh, messiah college and they just happened to have this thing with nsa down at Fort Meade where they're like, come on down, learn about careers here and so forth. And I was like, well, why not? Let's see what's down there. Right. And I had changed my major at the time and I get down there uh, to Fort Meade and they go, Hey, um, well, why wouldn't you want to work here? Right. I mean, that was kind of their pitch. It's like, what doesn't everybody want to work here? And I straight looked at those guys and I said, well, I'm an English major. And the guy looked deadpan right back at me and goes, so was I. And so that's when I kind of realized, hey, there is life for English majors outside of, you know, teaching, as everyone would always say that, or being a starving journal, uh, journalist or artist or whatever. And uh, I started looking into my options there. It was uh, from there that I kind of made a bit of a pivot and tried to identify what, what in the world would get me into this line of work and intelligence. And so I saw that they were looking for Arabic speakers. And I said, well, I know Spanish somewhat, so I bet I'd be great at that. Doug. My gosh. Um, so just for you and all your listeners, if you know Spanish, that does not mean you might be great at other languages, which, by the way, I also learned the hard way. My Spanish, not the best. Um, but I went and did a intensive uh, summer semester of Arabic, right? And I got through it and I did well. I transferred to the University of Maryland to continue my studies. And I proceeded to apply for every internship I could find in the Department of Defense and Fort Meade and so forth. And I was rejected for all of them, every single one, right? I'd get to various different stages in the process or the interview process and so forth, but it would never get the internship. So my, you know, my options are looking dim as I'm getting ready to graduate from College Park, University of Maryland, right? Um, and, you know, I was pulling out applications for different, uh, at the time, I think my goal was to be able to get into one of the department stores and, you know, maybe in the suit section. So I could at least like look good if I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but right before I graduated, I got a phone call from the DOD and they said, Hey, what are you up to these days? And I said, Hmm, making myself available if you're asking. And they said, yeah, come on in. I had an interview with them about 10 days after I graduated and they told me, why aren't you here already? And I said, maybe you can answer that. And they looked at my, my file and said, well, you've already got your security clearance, which was really interesting to me because I had no idea about that. But apparently all those times I've been doing the, trying to get those internships, I'd been going in and having all my interviews and testings, evaluations and all that stuff. And what had happened was I had gotten my security clearance, but I just never got the job. So they didn't want to waste a resource. And they looked at me and said, can you start next Friday? And I said, yeah, let me check my calendar. Sure. Right. And then I started with the Department of Defense. And that was kind of the very beginning entry into cybersecurity for me. Right. Because I, I had this was let me see. This was 2006 when we still didn't really have that. Uh, we were about to really discover 
the term cybersecurity and all that. I mean, we had cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. It's just no one really called it cybersecurity, sure. right? Um, and then, uh, at, so as a result, I'm in this field that isn't quite named yet, but at the same time, I have no idea what I'm doing. So they hired me as a quote unquote subject matter expert, right? Which especially when you're 21 and you're right out of college, it doesn't matter how much confidence you have, right? You know, you're not an expert at anything. And to like kind of emphasize that fact, I looked around and I, you know, I'm at this, uh, these, uh, you know, at this big intelligence organization doing all this computer, uh, doing all these cybersecurity, you know, at the time, you know, intelligence. And what, what I thought of was, well, they pay for master's degrees. That'll help me figure out what I'm doing here. And I was so backwards in my thinking that I ended up getting the wrong degree. My first, I've got two master's degrees. I didn't want to have to get two. Yeah, I noticed <laughs> that. I was, I was, I was, you know, you, you jump right into that question. I was like, how did, you know, how does, how does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, one's enough. Trust me. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was so lost in the sauce at Fort Meade that I kind of freaked out into a master's program. So I was there for a few months and said, I've got to, I've got to get on my game here. Right. So I looked around and I saw that they offered you, if you wanted to do it at night and you had to get every course justified, but they would like, they would pay for your master's degree. And I mean, you have to stay on for six months after the class finishes. Right. Um, but you know, that's not a big deal because you plan on making a career there anyway. So I went and got a whole degree and I said, well, what should I get? What should I get? I was like, well, you know, I'm working in the government. I should probably get a government degree. And that is how I got the completely, arguably wrong degree uh, for a job in cybersecurity from Johns Hopkins. My, I got a master's in government. Um, my area of study and emphasis was uh, weapons of mass destruction. And I wrote, you know, a whole master's thesis and so forth on, uh, you know, the evolution of WMDs. And I still was not very good with computers when I graduated uh, with it, which really kind of was a shock for me because I didn't, I mean, I wasn't actively, I was just trying to fix a problem and it, I really learned a lesson with that. Right. Uh, thankfully not um, necessarily. I, I thank the taxpayers, right. Thank you for my master's degree. Right. But um, it, it really kind of didn't help, help me on the cyber side at all. So I took uh, over time, I, I did a lot of OJT and it really came down to that. And, you know, there was a lot of irony, right. In, in, in my life in general, but like, especially with my time at the department of defense, because I didn't join the military because I didn't want to deploy to any war zones jokes on me, Doug, I ended up doing it twice anyway. Right. Um, and learning, you know, cyber in the, in the most hands-on way you can, um, on, on the very applicable level. And it was after a certain amount of time that I was like, okay, you know, Hmm, I really like this whole cyber thing. And the thing that really got to me is packet analysis come to find out. I love packet analysis, which is not something you hear a lot of people say. No. Right? Um, because let's be honest. Pa- pa- that, not, <laughs> that's not a common is- thing. I mean, everybody loves Wireshark to the point where they start trying to go through it and going, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, right, right. They love how Wireshark makes lines of different colors and it looks really cool, right? I, I especially love it whenever I see, what is it, like the CNN or CNBC or whatever things where they're like, and then this hacker from Des Moines, whatever. Yeah. And they always show like some guy on Wireshark. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're not wrong. He might use it or she might use it. But um, but what I, I realized was I really, really enjoyed it because I found out pretty quick if, uh, one, you looked at this stuff long enough and figured out how to use the tool, specifically Wireshark, the right way, you could find out some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. And additionally, I found out 
everybody else hates doing this, right? There's a few jobs in the field of cybersecurity. I get this question sometimes because I teach, I teach at, uh, UMBC, right? For their grad program. And I, one of the questions I always get is like, well, how can I, I really want to get a job in cybersecurity. What are, what are places that, you know, I get two questions, right? One is how, what skill do I need that will definitely, you know, make me competitive if I can do it well. And the other one is what's going to pay me well. Right. And I have two answers up for that, but the answers are kind of linked. I say, you're not going to like to hear this, but it's kind of like uh, I equate it to uh, waste disposal, the waste disposal, the garbage, uh, the garbage personnel of cyber, right? And what I mean by that is, and, and I say that's both packet analysis for your skill that everyone should be able to, that will value you for technically. And the other one is uh, auditing, IT auditing, right? Because both of these are jobs that nobody wants to do. And just like nobody really wants to be the garbage, the garbage man, the garbage woman, right? The garbage, like the person uh, going around and driving the garbage truck and throwing things out and so forth. But, but what a lot of people learn is they actually are very coveted and get paid really, really well Mm -hmm. and have incredible job security. So if, and and that kind of makes sense, right? Because these are jobs people don't want. So when you have someone who's like, yeah, I'll do it. And I'm pretty good at it. Then they will not only hold on to you, but they'll also pay you. And in my experience has been, technically speaking, like hands-on, if you can do packet analysis, if you can, my favorite phrase was from a general, he goes, read those chicken bones, right? If you can read the chicken bones of, of the internet, then people will you know, be like, wow. And the same thing with IT audit. If you come in and you're the person who's willing to go through all the policies and make sure that the guidance is followed and help craft it and all that stuff, then people, what people will want you and hold on to as well there. So I, um, I really learned that packet analysis and, and it was weird because I re- it was like, it's like a puzzle, right? I mean, you, you know, like it's like putting the pieces together and, and trying to figure out what's going on here. And I learned through that, you know, in my first five, uh, three to four years, that's what I really liked. And then making bigger pictures of it and doing analysis of that kind of stuff. Flash forward um, about five years, a bunch of uh, people that I worked with formed a company and said, hey, instead of working at the government, why don't we make the government our client? And I said, huh, okay, I mean, that sounds kind of cool, but it depends. And then they told me, told me what the mission set was, and it was a bunch of doing a bunch of stuff that I really, really enjoyed, but wasn't necessarily what the office I was in at the time. I said, sure, let's give it a shot. And, you know, I got really warned off, and I, I'll be honest, I mean, that was probably like my biggest, probably the best decision I've ever made in my career so far was knowing when to leave right? Knowing when to, to move out because that opened up a lot of doors for me, which is very difficult, especially when you're in the government, right? Because I'm sure you've heard this, Doug, like a lot of people go, oh, once you're in, you're in, you never leave. It's such great job security and such great, great this and that and that and this, and, and you never have to worry about anything again. They can't fire you. They can only promote you up and so forth. A lot of this is true, but I'll also say the time where I had the least job security was when, you know, Congress decided not to fund the government. <laughs> yeah, it could be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, that was the smartest, probably the smartest move I ever made, because then it brought me into the world of certifications. It brought me into the world of realizing you have to stay competitive. Right. If you try, you can keep going if you have X, Y, Z. And what I did have was at the time of clearance. And as long as I had certain, you know, DOD certifications and so forth, I, I would have work. And so it forced me to stay sharp, stay current and so forth. Um, and I mean, that's kind of like how I got into it and how I, how I kind of got out of it too. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, 
as sounds far as like, but yeah, it yeah. sounds like there's certainly a lot that can be kind of gleaned from. It. And I think that's that's one of the things that we see for for many of us that have been doing what we call cyber for a long enough period of time. There is no one path. You know, you you kind of build on from there isn't you know, you know one, <laughs> leapfrogging from one thing to another. But it, are there particular things, particularly from your your master's education no. to government that prepared you for where you are now, like where you can look back and say, you know what, while that might not have been directly applicable here's what I gleaned from it. Because I think that's a, it's a, it's yeah. a misvalued thing that a lot of people do with their past to say, well, you know, I don't have this, this background in cybersecurity. I'm like, have you have managerial experience? Do you have writing experience, right. communication, right. language? There's something that you've done that, that applies. I love, I love that because uh, I'm going to give you two great examples. And both of them are students that I've had in the last year. Uh, the two best students I've had in my graduate program have not come from a traditional background in cybersecurity, computer science, or any of that, right? You hear a lot of times, and I'm sure, and you make a great point, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have that background. I'm, I'm not a comp sci background and whatnot. And, uh, or, you know, I'm not a technical background. Good is kind of my mentality at this point, because the thing I've noticed that will help you do well in cybersecurity isn't necessarily a classically trained capability, right? It is more of an internal, almost arguably personality type, right? Um, detail focused, analytic. Um, like you said, uh, we need uh, cyber needs good managers and stuff like that too. Uh, just because you don't have that computer science background or that technical background doesn't mean you're not going to be applicable. And the two students that specifically jumped to my mind is one the best student I've had the two best, right? One of them was a, what uh, she was tr transitioning, right? From one career to another. And for the last 11 years, she had been a middle school English teacher and she finally hit that point, right? I mean, you got to love teachers. I, I, well, actually I do. I married a teacher, right? <laughs> um, but you got to love teachers because they put up with so much. And she finally said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done dealing with this. I'm done. And she talked with her husband and they decided that she should do a career shift. And she, of all things, picked cybersecurity. And I have to tell you, it wasn't that she, it wasn't her technical background that made her great because she didn't have it. It was her ability to one, stick with it and two, perform uh, the critical thinking required, the analytics, right? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm proof positive. If you really want to learn this stuff and you sit down long enough, you're going to figure it out, Right. You will figure it out if you sit down and stare at the at this stuff long enough. Um, however, it's the critical thinking and the desire to do so. She was my she got the highest grade of that semester because she kept going over it, asking the right questions, conducting the deeper level you know thinking, and she she was top of the class. The other student I had who was a great example, she had a mathematics degree, and come to find Doug, we were right. We were right when we said, "When are we going to use this when we grow up?" Right. Well, you're not. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that was kind of the joke. I mean, there are, and so, I, you know, for whoever listens to this, yes, I know there are mathematic jobs out there, uh, mathematicians and so forth. There just aren't very many of them kind of thing. And she also realized she didn't really want to be a mathematician, I guess. So she switched over and decided to uh, get her master's in cybersecurity. Well, she took to it very, very well. Because again, she took the critical thinking skills. She took the, uh, she stuck, put her nose to the grindstone, really worked hard at it. And when she came to me and said, and this was about halfway through the semester and said, hey, I'm applying for some of these 
uh, positions and so forth, internships and jobs. And but I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know very much cybersecurity. And I said, take, take a step back. What have we done in this course? I said, I have proof right here, right, that you've done packet analysis, that you've done firewall configuration, that you have done malware analysis, because these are things I teach in my class. I give them live labs, right? And they have to do them in order to, to achieve their scores. And I said, you have done these things. I said, you, now you may not feel like you've done a lot, but for a lot of people, especially compared to computer science graduates who are coming out and trying to apply for these jobs, you've actually done a lot more. So uh, I then showed her, I said, and look, you've been writing papers on the NIST policies, 853, 800-181, right? And how, your, how what you're doing applies to those. I said, if you can go into the interview and discuss all this and show them these connections that you've made, you're going to do great. And so she did that. And then a month later, she got hired by the GAO. So uh, ironically, interestingly enough, right, as a cybersecurity auditor. So um, she was hired by the end of the semester. Neither of these students, right, had a traditional background, which really makes made, talk, prompted me to sit and think. It's like, it's, so it's not a traditional background. I mean, now, not to discourage those of you with a traditional background, I think you just have a step up. But I think it is more inherent, you know, willingness to think critically an inherent willingness to really stick to it until it sticks to you kind of thing and um, taking those skills. And if you can write, my goodness, this is a field, right? That has so many people who, uh, I, I don't want to say this in a way that might offend anyone. It, this is a field that is very much lacking in writing composition. I'll right? take, I, would, I would just footnote that by saying, you know, communication in general. And that, that's been a exactly. theme. I mean, we're, your episode almost it might be possibly 80. And I think that's come up on 80 podcasts. It's that right. the biggest skills gap that we have, you know, it's not the technical, it's the communication. I couldn't agree more because a lot of people um, in our field just, and it's difficult and I can kind of see it too, right? Because you, when you work on certain, a certain level all day, when you go to explain it to people, your baseline is skewed, right? So the ability to effectively communicate the things that you're doing and even better write them down, you, it, it's just such a valuable skill set that you're, I would be very surprised should you obtain some of the technical competence, you know, get a few certs, right, at a minimum, and then, you know, communicate effectively, you will be employed. I'm not saying it'll be the job you want right away, but there is there is space in cybersecurity for you. So, yeah. Yeah, I think a, yeah, a lot of it, yeah, there's there's the entry point, right? And then that kind of goes back to, you know, what you were saying about certifications. And I guess, you know, what's, you know, obviously you work with an organization that, that has provided some certifications. You have certifications. That's true. I have certifications. Everybody has <laughs> certifications. But, you know, there there's... I think that to be put in the proper perspective, and I guess what would the what would be the perspective that you would tell folks about the value of certifications and maybe even the risks and rewards? So uh, I love that question. Um, I had one guy, my CEH instructor, really really smart guy, a really savvy guy, uh, when I was getting my certified ethical hacker cert, and he sat us all down and said, "Look." Uh, you, you can think about getting the master's, but if your goal is, you know, uh, a financial one, forget it. Uh, if you get a cert and each cert I've gotten, you can guarantee you can get at least an extra 10 grand tacked on your salary if you change jobs and stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's what I would say to everyone, but that's one tact for it. Right. Uh, I think there, I think that's a dangerous, a dangerous thought process. Right. I'm not saying that there are no values in certs. In fact, there's a huge value in cert. But to only say, you know, if you go and get a bunch of certs, 
and you'll make a bunch of money. That's how you get a bunch of cert hounds, right? And as an individual who has been responsible for hiring people, I have had a lot of people who have come to me with a ton of certifications, for example, and can't make a basic net map, right? Or can't conduct basic packet analysis. And these are fundamental skills that you need to have in the field of cybersecurity. Yes, it's good to have some certs and have a certain level of certs, but you have to have the capability as well. You know, that's that's the part where I think I'm supposed to toot the ISACA horn, right? And say, well, if you take our cybersecurity certifications, you get the hands-on experience, which is true. You don't you don't actually get graded unless you've actually performed in a live environment. Mm -hmm. But you can the truth is you can get that experience in a lot of different places, right? The goal here is to just not rely alone on certs because there's been, and I'd say that's my biggest caution there. A lot of a lot of people will just be tempted to go and get a bunch of certs and get a bunch of uh certifications, maybe a degree and think it, call it a day, right? Trust me, I got degrees. I got certs. That's not what's gotten me to where I am, right? Um, it's been the actual genuine interest in the actual engagement with the source material. Now, that's not to say and to be discouraging, say, well, you have to have experience. I'm not saying you have to have like 10 years experience for an entry level job. I'm saying you have to be able to show and demonstrate that you actually have had a genuine interaction with this stuff. Mate, hopefully you, you do know how to use Linux, right? Or you have played around with Linux or you've taken the time in your own time to mess around with packet analysis and packet captures and so forth, right? Because that stuff shows. That stuff bleeds out in your everyday discussion. Otherwise, if you've just gone and memorized a bunch of answers to you know pass a bunch of multiple choice tests, that's also going to show, right? Um, so those would be my pros and cons with certs, right? Certs are a requisite in this field, but they're not the only thing you should re rely upon. I think somebody explained to me once, and I think the attribution might have gone to Rob Lee from Sands, you know, saying, you know, oh, yeah. it, it, it kind of comes down to, it's like your driver's license, you know? It shows that you had the minimum proficiencies to do it, but it doesn't mean, you right. know, that once you're 16, you are, you know, ready to drive a race car. You should you know, be you, driving, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, it's saying, okay, I, I know the basics, but the experience that follows that is really what develops you as a professional. And I couldn't agree more. That experience creates a snowballing effect, right? Because it becomes exponentially more valuable because everything you learn builds upon that, builds upon that, builds upon that until you become like this big, uh, you become a snowball of experience, right? And it's, uh, it really is helpful. And one of the things that, that gets asked, you know, for me, and, and you know, it's it's kind of an interesting thing that it's not so much of where, you know, where do I start? If I, let's, let's say, for example, say if I have a, more of an IT background, I want to get into cybersecurity is a lot of the questions that come up is, you know, where, you know, where do I start? I don't have a, and I'm using air quotes that nobody can see because we're on a podcast, but, you know, the, right. you know, the, the security background. And I would say, you know, there's, there's a lot of pivot points and transitional moves that you can make from traditional IT into cyber. What are some of the things that you see that could be good starting point for a lot of people in that area? Uh, 100%. I think the, the goal, uh, one goal, I'd, first, let me take a step back and say, if you have a background in IT and you've been working in IT, you are so much more prepared for, to enter into cybersecurity than most people. I'd say if you really, really want to enter into cybersecurity, there's three things you need to remember. One, you need to start getting a few cert. I mean, you have the experience, so you need to get the certs that align with what you want to do. If you want to be a pen tester, then that's going to be more of the EC council or SANS or our, our stuff too. We have penetration testing stuff, right? You want to get some of the pen test certs. Or if it's going to be any blue team stuff, right? You want to get your certifications specifically in things that align with blue teams, such as the CSX practitioner, right? 
Um, if you have been in for many years and you want to be more of a manager, right? Then there's the SISM, the uh, the SISM or the CISSP in that those instances. And then once you, so one is if you're crossing over from IT, I'd say is certifications and certificates, right? Two is it's all about just like anything else. It's all about who you know and how you know them, right? So you have to be willing to put yourself out into an environment that's a little less comfortable. That's one of the things I love. In fact, that's par- probably the thing I love most about ISACA. I mean, ISACA does a lot of great stuff, right? We have great training. We have great certifications, great, great certs. You know, COVID is amazing, right? And the C- and I honestly believe what we're doing with the CSX cybersecurity training platform is, you know, the future. But more important than all of that, what do we have? We have active chapters throughout the world, right? Uh, and, and all these different countries and all these different states that have chapter meetings and have communities and have groups of people who get together and have discussions and, and have cookouts and stuff like that. And they've created this big community that is all about cybersecurity and auditing and information system managing. And they all work, they all get together and they all discuss. So you have to, that's point two, right? It's about who you know and getting out there and, and meeting these people, right? Make forging those connections. It's not enough just to go on LinkedIn, right? And be like, yeah, I like this stuff. Hey, will you be my my connection and stuff like that? Don't get me wrong. That's good. But also like going and meeting people, whether that's through things like in my like I suggested uh, with Isaka or going to conferences and discussing with people or just finding out what's going on in the local universities after hours because they usually have discussions and so forth. Um, And then finally, if you really want to get into it, be willing to move, right? Be willing to change your position. And I'm not just, I'm not saying like move across the country or anything like that, but be willing to change organizations, change companies, change uh, workplace, right? Because in a lot of instances, you know, I I use the example of the uh, car salesman, Right. Uh, that car salesman who dreams of, you know, managing the moving up in the, in the actual organization and someday figuring out how to do their own thing with um, maybe opening up their own dealership. Well, it doesn't matter. You can be the best car salesman on the floor. That means, right, not necessarily that you're going to get promoted, but that they're going to want to keep you there so you can sell as many cars as possible. So I found in a lot of instances that if you then want to grow into your career and something else, if you have all, all these certifications, certificates, Kids and you know these right these people and so forth and it's not happening in your current company you have to be willing to move now uh, for those of you who are willing to take that leap we do every year the state of cybersecurity survey and put the results out the good news is the you'll the, uh, the odds are very much in your favor that you'll earn more at your next position right because that is one of the main things that uh, the retention is a huge problem for personnel in this field that once you are in the field of cybersecurity, the biggest danger your company has is another company coming by and poaching you. So if you want to move into this field and you are putting yourself out there and looking, right, odds are you will find something and it could probably even be for more than what you're looking for. But a lot of people I've, in my experience, sometimes have a problem getting past that headspace, right, of the the willingness to move and so forth. And maybe they have good reasons too, maybe for family reasons, stuff like that, et cetera. But um, this is kind of like my three-pronged approach of if you want to move from especially from the field of IT and something else that is uh, what I've seen a lot of success in. Yeah. I kind of want to unpack that a little bit more, especially around the networking. I, I think it's such, right. you know, such a valuable portion. And again, it's kind of the impetus for this podcast. It's almost like a networking <laughs> kind of thing. And that's almost the the feedback I get from lots of individuals. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to be active in ISACA, ISSA, OWASP, right. SANS, just general meetups, just getting out there. I've either found the best talent through that way for, for my own practices or learned a lot. Um, right. The things that are just happening on the ground on a day-to-day basis. Um, 
Um, and they're fun, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here in Denver, we do stuff at like, you know, Dave and Buster's and stuff. They're, they're usually great. great that's things. awesome. Yeah, I love Dave and Buster's. Yeah, it's a great social event. And I think that's, that's what I, I think a, I wouldn't say necessarily a unique thing, but something that I, I find valuable too within cybersecurity is that community aspect of folks right. coming to get together and kind of saying, yeah, you know, it was a tough day. I had a you know, either sit on a sock and put down God knows how many tickets or running right. an incident response program for two weeks and just saying, gosh, I'm burnt out. But it's, there's a lot of uh, camaraderie when it comes down to sitting around over a couple beers and just saying, you know, hey, here's what's happening in the field. Exactly. Exactly. It, one of the things that you mentioned too is, is uh, what kind of get a little bit more into was about the, um, you know, what exactly is happening with the cyber nexus program and what, what exactly that is. Cause I've certainly something I, I've kind of followed, but maybe if you can kind of educate the listeners a little bit more about what that is and how that applies to some of the things we've talked about, but maybe, maybe even a little bit broader. So what we're doing with uh, the cybersecurity nexus training platform here at ISACA is pretty unique. What ISACA did uh, back when, uh, I want to say it was 2014, was they decided that they wanted to actually get into the, you know, help the field of cybersecurity. But they wanted to help in a way that uh, the field needed help in, which sounds kind of weird, but let's take a few steps back, right? If you take a look at the whole certification, I'll say, uh, field right now, right? Anybody can make a cert. Anybody can make a certification. Anybody can make up CPEs and say they're applicable, X, Y, Z. You know, then people can come get them and say, yes, behold, look, I am a cybersecurity professional. What ISACA wanted to do was actually help the skills problem. So what we've created here is a certification and training platform that you spend over 60% of each engagement in a live environment with real attacks. Case in point, when you remember when Spectre and Meltdown happened, right? Well, we put out within a few weeks a entire lab, two labs, lab package on how to identify and remedy both Spectre and Meltdown. By putting you in that environment, you identify where, you know, you identify the issue, you remedy it, and then you can then, you know, pretty much your patching and so forth. And then you know how to recognize the actual characteristics and you know how to respond to it. And then based off that, we actually have a patented technology called uh, Evaluator that then looks at your performance in that environment, right? Did you did you make the correct changes, do the right things, X, Y, Z, and then awards you your CPE credits based upon your performance and, and that you either, you, in the instructional labs, you either followed the instructions as we were told, or, or in the challenge labs, you leveraged your critical thinking to come to the appropriate end state. And in doing that, you're actually doing the tasks and gaining the skills that are required in this field. So through those, we award you CPE credits and you are exams for our certifications and certificates. You, we put you in a live environment, right? We put uh, a case in point, our CSX practitioner certification. We put you in a live environment with real incidents happening and you have to respond appropriately to those incidents. And based upon your ability to respond to them, you get a certain grade. And as if you pass, you get your CSX practitioner certification. So this is a pretty dramatic step. Right. If you look at a lot of other certificates and certifications, which are great, by the way, because I have them. So this isn't a knock on any of them, but a lot of it is kind of a death by PowerPoint experience or, you know, a big reading assignment. And then maybe a little bit of lab on a USB that they hand you that you could spend a few hours at the end of the day on. Right. Um, and they're very inconsistent labs because people have different environments and maybe they did follow the right instructions to set up their computer X, Y, Z. Right. Um, that. 
And then this is all capped off with a multiple choice exam at the end where some of these uh, certs, again, not knocking them because, again, I have them. They let you take all of your training material into the exam then telling you that the answers are in the books. You just have to know where to find them. So this doesn't really create cybersecurity professionals that are as useful as they could be, right? Again, from the hiring perspective, as the individual who's hired people, uh, I had people sit down who had all these certificates and certifications and couldn't conduct basic pack analysis. So I saw ACA in their effort to remedy that actual issue, created these certifications, these labs, these trainings, so that people who do earnings can actually say, look, I have done this. And one of the benefits that we have here is you don't just get these certs and certifications. Every time you complete a lab, we show you exactly what you did, explain it to you, and then show you which job roles they're preparing you for uh, in the 800-181 NIST guidelines, right? So uh, you did this lab in our pen testing course. Uh, Well, you scanned the network, and then you identified a specific vulnerability on the firewall. Well, these are two skill sets that are required by penetration testers in 800-181, according to the U.S. government, right? Based off these KSAs, which you demonstrated in these tasks. So uh, we're hoping to create, uh, we are, in my, actually, we are creating cybersecurity professionals that are much more prepared for the realities of cybersecurity. And the big thing is, we build a lot of these labs by working with enterprises who experience these attacks day to day. Instead of just going, hmm, let's sit and think, what are the problems of cyber, right? We just go and talk to the actual people uh, we work with, these enterprises that, hey, they had a sock that got clobbered with this the other day. This is a current cutting edge issue, and we've got another sock that's saying that too. We need to make training on this. And then so it speaks to you whether you're new to the field, whether you've been in for a while, right? Or whether you're relatively mature, so you know about these things. Uh, So one of the things that I... um I, I, I want to ask, you know, I think ISAC is a great organization, but it also has, you know, I think whether to its credit or its fault at times, has a very strong view of being very, well, they're just a COBIT auditing organization oh, yeah. focused around government. And maybe that was something <laughs> for a while, but, you know, where does something like, you know, we now have NIST CSF, we have the top 20, we have these other types of standards that are, or I would say frameworks that are coming to fruition um, that are getting more use in the small to medium-sized enterprise or even critical infrastructure for a lot of governments. Right. Where does COBIT fit into that kind of realm and how is it evolved or how is it changing oh man you are you are singing my struggle song right there because there's two points right one is that oh well how does isaka fit into this world of cybersecurity when they just have this reputation that is so strong right of of audit and COVID and so forth uh, i'd say we fit in it right by doing something nobody else is doing by providing a cybersecurity experience where it's you know ensuring that you're getting these skills and making it provable through your transcripts and so forth to others that you can do this. Uh, as far as where does COBIT align in the future, especially with this NIST CSF and so forth? Well, when you read NIST CSF, what is it built off of? It's built off COBIT, right? If you take a look at all the different domains and so forth, COBIT is all through it because, I mean, we're talking about risk at the end of the day, and there's a lot of risk in all these things. And um, you'll see COBIT referenced all over the place in there and every single domain and every single, uh, even if you go to 853 as well, it's throughout there as well, different uh, parts of COVID that uh, justify, they use COVID to justify the job roles, they use COVID to justify the security controls. It's, you know, COVID is kind of one of the primordial beginning points, right? Uh, of, and that developed into, help develop all of these different um, 
certifications and policies that are kind of ruling the roost these days for those. So that it's so it's so applicable. It, I kind of view it as you know, there's that old saying. Ah, yes, you you own the castle, but how does one own the land kind of thing? Well, the land, right, is made up of these beginning baseline policies, like the ISO policies, right, and the and COVID, for example, that's all right there. So I'd say there's definitely a huge fit there, especially with the auditing. I mean, so definitely we've seen from the cybersecurity aspect from um, the, the cybersecurity uh, platform and training and so forth, but also from the uh, we have cybersecurity auditor certificates because auditing cybersecurity is not necessarily the same and in, in cyber policies and cyber practices is not the same as auditing an IT setup or IT or governance stuff and also as ISACA uh, CMMI is part of ISACA now as uh, I'm sure many of your listeners and yourself are aware so um, CMMI certification as well as uh, we have the cyber the CMMI cyber maturity platform which helps organizations, both um, government and private and public, identify their cyber maturity of their organization and help them become more secure by enhancing their maturity. Sure. And I think there's there's something that people have to understand, too. Is, and I've, I've taken a good look at the the way that you guys have done, you know, as a member, you know, the way that it is basically the crosswalks to things like NIST CSF and, and even like HIPAA compliance things. There's a lot of value in a yeah. lot of these things where you can crosswalk it and the the basics are there. You know, what is your asset inventory, both in IT right. assets, software, <laughs> and, and, and people that have access to it? It's the unsexy thing of, you know, having inventory lists and doing risk management. I always joke to say if that's, that was the mission statement of RSA, nobody would go. Um, (laughs) Right. But that's the reality of what we need. And so it's like, you know, it's continuing to educate people that the basics are matter. They're not basics. Doesn't mean easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And there's a lot that goes into that. So how, how do you kind of tee people up for kind of doing the, the unfun stuff to say, Hey, look, you know, this is something that needs to get done. You need to learn it in a process in doing so. Well, and it gets it gets back to that earlier discussion I had, right? It's it's kind of it's one of those jobs no one wants to do, but uh, everyone has to get done. And so whenever I get people who might show any kind of interest in it and are like, maybe I then remind them of, hey, these are well paying jobs, right? So if anyone's thinking of becoming an auditor and think they might be inclined to it, really take a hard look at it because it really could be for you. And you know, auditors, you know, I'm not going to say do it all for the money and so forth, but auditors on average earn more than your basic IT or cyber professionals, right? Now, uh, as far as why, and you made a really great statement about, you know, RSA statements, uh, RSA, you know, mottos, if it was all about risk and governance, no one would go, right? It doesn't, you're right, it doesn't change the fact that it still needs to be done. I think the important thing is identifying the right people within the organization and showing them why it's important. And I think you see that a lot, too, at the executive level. Uh, with cyber attacks and so forth. That's why you see a lot of organizations until recently didn't invest in cybersecurity until something bad happened, right? Because let's be honest, you can have whiz-bang cool cyber stuff and all that, but at the end of the day, it's the policies and the procedures that need to be followed and the governance that, that if you don't have any of that, you're still going to have a problem. Oh man, that Capital One, perfect example, right? I'm pretty sure there probably was a policy somewhere that said this is the type of configuration that should be followed and someone somewhere forgot to hit check the right box, right? Um that is a classic example of policies need to be followed and procedures need to be followed because there can be drastic consequences. And, and also, to your point, to be audited. I mean, it's one thing to have yeah. them in place, but, you know, technology is fallible. So are humans. Yep. You know, mistakes yep. are going to be made. Doors are going to be left open. You need to go and do those periodic checks. And, you know, I can't 
count the number of environments. It's probably happened almost every single time when we go do assessments and audits. It's, yep. you know, provide us your asset list. Okay, is there nothing else we're going to find? Absolutely not. And this is, we've seen it in incident response and electronic yep. discovery as well. It's like, this is everything. I'm like, okay, because either I physically walked through and I saw a server that wasn't on the list, or, you know, we run a Nessus scan or an NMAP scan, and there's, you know, there's a dozen hosts that you don't even have managed. So it's like, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we forgot about that. And it's like, what? And that now, why is that access point plugged in? That looks like you brought that from home. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I agree. Need to be checked. You need to go jiggle door, door handles every now and then. Uh, and I could I couldn't agree more. I, I my first job I ever had was at a bank. And one day we came in and the door was locked. I showed up and then I realized all my coworkers were outside. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, we're being audited. And I'm like, oh no, what's that? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I learned there that auditing, I mean, it's so important uh, because uh, they, they ended up identifying uh, a few years later through the auditing process, right, that one of the tellers had actually been, you know, pilfering and so forth. It's a great, it's a great auditors are great in all, all fields, right? And I also think that, you know, auditing is great, especially in the cyber field and the, t- and the IT field, right? Because let's take a step back. They're so valued already, right? If you can do anything in the cyber field and technical field, there's already so much value there, okay? Um, and I you tell my students this when, when any of them get disparaged, right? I pick up my cell phone. I'm like, look, to 99% of people on earth, this is, you know, magic signal box that lets you communicate to people and that's it. And they don't, you know, that's all. I said, but you know what this thing runs on. You know, this is just a collection of, you know, antennas and batteries and silicon and all that stuff that can then, you know, communicate and so forth. And I said, now, some of these, right, are not made in the appropriate fashion. Some of these are made, believe it or not, with malicious intent or to poor spec. That is the, and I tell them, that's the important uh, importance of auditing. And if you can be that person who can identify if, hey, this thing's doing something it shouldn't do, or hey, this thing wasn't built to code in the appropriate way, and articulate that to people, the world's your oyster, because it's such a valuable thing, right? And so, and, and I think that really reflects in ISACA, right? Because if you take a look at ISACA, uh, let's take a step back. Chapter organizations writ large are on the decline, right? I mean, who here talks about Lions Club? anymore, right? Who talks about the rotary? Uh, You know, the Masons are walking this fine line where they're putting commercials on TV that say, ask a Mason, right? Because technically Masons aren't allowed to, you know, advertise themselves. You have to ask to be a Mason. Whereas ISACA is completely bucking this trend. Uh, Year over year, our membership numbers are growing. We have new chapters cropping up all over the place, right? And I think that's a true testament to the field and the passion of the people in the field, right? It shows that the field is really important. The field is growing and the people in it have a legit interest because let's face it, who wants to take a night out of the month or whatever and necessarily make time to have to go and do a chapter meeting sometimes? I mean, yeah, there's fun things. Uh, There's fun events and so forth like Dave and Buster's and all that. But there's also sometimes it's like, hey, I I need to go to this and get some CPEs and, and learn up on some stuff too, right? Um, people, people who have that level of commitment and passion, I mean, it's it's not an accident. Right. And I think that's a, that really shows like, you know, the growth, the, the, the important, the importance of the actual field of auditing, sorry, auditing and cybersecurity. Yeah. They go one hand in hand. Well, Frank, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where can people find you online? Um, oh, wow. Yeah, no problem. It's been a a pleasure, Doug. Um, I am on LinkedIn or you can go to frankdowns.com. And you can go from there if you're looking for me. 
Awesome. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes so people can find you. And again, thank you for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.